Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. I'm Will Davis, and I serve as the campus pastor at our Stono campus. And it's been about a year since I've been with you all on a Sunday morning, and so it's very encouraging to see your faces. And to my Stone Oak family, I thank God for you. I prayed for you this morning. And thank you to Pastor Michael Loudermilk and Mark Carvajal for leading the service and to our worship leader, Robert Lobasso, and, and his great team. We thank you for your ministry. And I want to say thank you for your prayers and for your support of this great outreach opportunity as we seek to reach more and more people in San Antonio for Christ. And it's very uplifting to know that as we gather for worship up north every Sunday, you all gather here and we're worshiping together as one body of Christ on two campuses, hearing the same word of God preached and proclaimed. And the Holy Spirit is working and moving in hearts on both locations to His glory. And we will, be, we will be celebrating our one-year birthday at the end of next month, and we will be sharing that celebration with you all at this time, at that time. But I can say now that God has been so faithful as we have seen Him do just great things in the lives of our people. So thank you again for your prayers. I've enjoyed this sermon series on the book of Proverbs and seeing how this ancient book of wisdom applies for us today. That Hebrew word for proverb means a comparison or resemblance. And the English word means in place of words. So a proverb is a pithy observation that makes a comparison or contrast to convey the wisdom of God to his people. The wisdom of a father to a son. And the Proverbs give us a snapshot of what life is typically like. And they bring together life experience. And then lessons are drawn out of those observations into a principle or a proverb. They are not commands. And for the most part, not promises. But revelations of what will typically follow if we do certain things. They are to be seen as God-inspired guides to live out a successful and productive spiritual life. As one commentator said, Proverbs are bearing out a truth tested by time. Individual pearls of wisdom, not instant success formulas but proven principles to apply to bring about an exceptional life in God's eyes. In Proverbs 3, which we're looking at today, the writer or the sage speaks of the benefits and rewards that come from leaning upon God and His wisdom. Benefits like a spiritually rich life and favor with God. And a godly reputation in his sight. When I first began to grow in Christ 
uh, as a college student and began to memorize God's word, this was one of the very first Bible passages that I memorized. And probably many of you memorized it when you were a kid. So can we all read aloud Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 at this time? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. I just mentioned that for the most part, Proverbs are not promises. But I believe this proverb here is an exception. Because this truth reiterates what is seen elsewhere in Scripture. And that is those who trust in the Lord wholeheartedly will receive guidance from Him. It has a high degree of probability to it. If you do this, trust. God will do that. Guide and lead. John Piper says the main aim of these verses is for us To walk in a straight path to God. God doesn't want us to veer off the narrow road that leads to Him and start down a wide path that could lead to disobedience, dishonor, and destruction. No, He wants to make our path straight. Straight to obedience, submission to Him, straight to everlasting joy, straight to a God-honoring life. And these verses seem to indicate four steps in that process of walking the path to God and leaning on our everlasting Savior. First, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We begin our spiritual journey when we trust in Jesus Christ alone who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead to give us new life in Him and eternal life in the one to come. In heaven. And when we trust in God and Christ and the Spirit, our God, three in one, it's more than just an intellectual belief or assent. It's placing our lives in a childlike, unwavering confidence in God, our triune God, and His love and His faithfulness and wisdom for us. We see in the Old Testament a king who was entrusted by God with all of the worldly wisdom needed to reign and to rule, King Solomon. But what got Solomon into trouble was not his mind, because perhaps he was one of the wisest men who ever lived. He wrote many of the Proverbs. But Solomon's problem was a heart issue. He was half-hearted in his pursuit of God, and the other half was given to foreign wives and their false gods. And our one true God said, I don't think so. I am not going to share my glory with anyone else, much less some false god. So when we trust, our trust must be in God completely and exclusively and not with anything else in this world that we may set up as idols in our hearts. And when we trust, we bank on God's promises. We walk with that moment-by-moment dependence and assurance that He has our very best in mind. And we trust completely 
in a holy, gracious, kind, loving, heavenly Father who is all-providing and all-satisfying. Second, as we lean on the everlasting, we must not lean on our own understanding. And this involves not being so self-reliant. A self-reliant attitude is celebrated in William Ernest Henley's poem, Invictus. And the famous line from that poem reads, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. The writer here in Proverbs 3 also speaks of facing life with a similar unflinching determination, but not through relying on our own wisdom, but on God's wisdom. We should look to Christ as the master of our fate and the captain of our souls. And in order to not rely on ourselves so much, God often needs to humble us. And humility is something that is becoming more and more rare in this selfie hashtagging society. So when we do see this virtue, this endangered virtue of humility, it's quite refreshing. In David Brooks' recent book titled The Road to Character, he tells the story of when he was driving home one evening a few years ago. And Brooks was listening to NPR radio, and it was a rebroadcast of a program that was sent out to the American troops during World War II. And the episode originally aired on August the 15th, 1945, the day after VJ Day, in which Japan surrendered and thus ended the war. And the radio show featured some of the biggest celebrities of that time, Frank Sinatra, Betty Davis, Cary Grant, and others. And what was so striking for Brooks was the tone of humility from these entertainers. The United States and the Allies had just completed one of the greatest and noblest military victories in human history, and yet there was no chest beating. The host of the program, Bing Crosby, came on at the end of the show and said, well, it looks like this is it. What more can you say at a time like this? I guess all anybody can do is thank God it's over. Today, our deep down feeling is one of humility. Another actor read a passage written by Ernie Pyle, the war correspondent who had just been killed a few months before, but had written an article anticipating what victory would mean. And Pyle wrote, We won the war because our men are brave and because of many other things. But no, we did not win it because destiny created us better than all other people. I hope that in victory we are more grateful than proud. And Brooks writes, they didn't go around telling themselves how great they were. They didn't print up bumper stickers commemorating their awesomeness. Their first instinct was to remind themselves that they were not morally superior to anyone else. Their collective impulse was to warn themselves against pride and self-glorification. They intuitively resisted the natural human tendency toward excessive self-love. Brooks then says, I arrived home 
before the program was over and I listened to that radio show in my driveway for a time. And then I went inside and turned on a football game. A quarterback threw a short pass to a wide receiver who was tackled almost immediately for a two-yard gain. But the receiver got up and did a self-puffing victory dance as the camera lingered on him. And it occurred to me that I had just witnessed more self-celebration after a two-yard play in a football game than I had heard after the United States had won World War II. So humility is necessary as we lean upon God. It requires us on our knees confessing, God, I can't do it alone. In the midst of this trial, in the midst of this cancer, Lord, I need you. I need an all-powerful, all-sovereign God to lead me and to give me strength in my weakness. I remember running in a race one time and on the road up ahead of me, I see two people, a man and a woman, running what seemed oddly close to one another. And I remember thinking, that guy is not really giving this lady much personal space. And I pass by them, and I see that the man is blind. And he's running while resting his hand upon the arm of this woman. And he is completely dependent upon her to know where they are on the course, how much longer to the next water station, how many more miles are left, what other obstacles are ahead of us that I can't see. And that's the kind of dependence that God wants from us, complete with all our hearts, dependence. And that leads us to number three, in all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge has a bit of an impersonal, matter-of-fact tone to it. But I like the Hebrew word, which is to know. In all your ways, have an intimate knowledge of God. Another translation reads, In all your ways, desire His presence. It means we take to God the big things, And the small things and know that he is concerned with with each and every one. Nothing is too minor. Nothing is too personal that we can't entrust to God's caring and confidential ear. To acknowledge is almost like giving a head nod to someone that we pass in the halls of, of our school or the workplace. I know I've done this at times when I walk off the airplane at the end of a flight. If I see the the pilot standing there uh, at the door to the cockpit, I might give him a little head nod or or a quick word of thanks. But later on, I think that head nod didn't come anywhere close to the gratitude that I should have shown that pilot for what just happened back there. I should have pulled him in for a big bro hug after he safely landed this 80-ton piece of steel with hundreds of our lives in his hands. But then I realized, you know, sometimes I do that with God as well. There are days when it seems like I've barely acknowledged him. And I get to the end of the day and I realize that I had missed out on many opportunities just to worship 
and connect with God and lean upon Him. My God who has my very life in His hands. And I had failed to desire His presence throughout the day. I had neglected to spend time with God who literally moved heaven and earth to come near and to extend that gift of eternal life by giving up His own Son's life. I had failed to worship Him with all my heart and say, God, I am acknowledging You in all things. I need You. I desire Your presence in every conversation, every fork of the road moment. I am bringing You in and trusting You to carry out the daily matters of my life with Your wisdom and Your leading. And then number four, He will make your paths straight. God will make our path straight if we are walking with Him, if we go to Him in His Word each and every day, if we go to Him through prayer and ask Him to direct and order our steps. God's Spirit will then shed light on our path. And of course, we can't see the future. Only God can. But we can say to Him, Heavenly Father, I've witnessed Your goodness in my past. I've seen that walking with you doesn't mean life is going to be easy and without its share of of detours. But you've proven yourself faithful and worthy of my trust. So I'm going to follow you and obey you. I like how Matt Chandler says, God is not passive aggressive with us. He's just gently aggressive. God doesn't say, hmm, you know, that's interesting that you're you're doing that with your life. I mean, maybe that's not the best plan. No, God just comes in and says, not this way, a path that can lead to brokenness and despair and heartache, but instead this way, a path which leads to joy and abundant life. And fulfillment. Since these proverbs are are pithy, concise truths, I want to leave you with a couple short statements of application. Number one, trust and lean. These words, trust and lean, are very close in meaning. Trusting in this context means putting yourselves in the hands of another who is greater than you. And leaning is not just reclining, but putting all of your weight against something for support. My very first swim coach, Kevin, is here this morning. And I think we met when I was nine years old. And he was my swim coach. We were the Mighty Dolphins. And Coach Kevin has been a mentor and a great friend in my life ever since. And I remember sharing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 with Kevin way back in college, and we have been quoting it back and forth to one another ever since when we go through the trials of life. Like when Kevin lost his father last month on June the 1st, we returned once again to this promise and to this assurance in Proverbs 3, trust and lean. This past Wednesday marked 
the five-year anniversary of my mom's home going to heaven. But I trust and lean. Even when life doesn't make sense, we trust and lean. It was a very beautiful and meaningful time last Sunday as I took my daughter, Josie, to hold the hand of her amazing Sunday school teacher, Jan Wagner. And we got to tell her at that hospice center, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness to Christ. Thank you for your eternal investment in my daughter. What a dear woman. And that service will be here tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. And our prayers continue to go out to Dale and, and their children. But we trust and lean. Even when we're not sure how to go on. To lean on ourselves is like having two broken legs but relying on broken crutches. It's not going to work. So we renounce confidence and leaning on ourselves and ask God for His supernatural strength and humility as we lean on our good, good Father who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And number two, acknowledge and obey. Acknowledge and obey. To acknowledge God is more than just a tip of the hat, but it means to be aware of and to know God in all things, to worship Him, to desire His presence, and to fellowship with Him. It's abandoning our will for His. And if we do so, God will guide the course of our lives. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is a promise because it expresses a truth that we see elsewhere. And that is people who trust, people who lean, people who acknowledge, people who obey God, they will experience His guidance and leading throughout their lives. This last year at Stone Oak has been a great year. And folks up there, I love you. Y'all are awesome. And I love you here as well. And it's great to be with you. And if you haven't been able to visit our campus, I wanted to show a few pictures to you. We are on 18 acres up there on Evans Road in Stone Oak, right next to Bush Middle School. And it's a very idyllic, beautiful, wooded campus with all kinds of wildlife running around. There's deer. There's uh, Baby Bambi, Roadrunners, Wild Turkeys, Crazy Black Squirrels, and other creepy crawly things. Yeah, we should really charge admission up there. But here's the worship center where every Sunday at 11 we gather for live worship. And most of the time we're viewing the sermon that is taking place right here at the 410 campus, like right now. And then we have our our student building, where Cameron Contristano exceptionally leads our students. And we have our uh, education building, where Michelle Jenkins does an incredible job pointing our children to faith in Christ. And occasionally during the week, over the lunch hour, I, I like to 
get out and enjoy God's creation up there a little bit and, and go for a little jog. There's some trails that go behind the campus. And the trail extends for several miles, and it takes you under Evans Road up to Stone Oak Park. And to get there, you first have to run through this tunnel. And the first time I ran through it, I got a little nervous because I had a vision of this anaconda-like snake (laughs) jumping out at me in the darkness. And I think I set a personal best in my my 40 time as I sprinted through that tunnel, waving the the light of my, my cell phone and ready to use it as a weapon against any python or hill country sewer gator that was waiting for me in the shadows. But now after running through it several times, it's just as dark, but it's not as intimidating because I can see and focus on the light at the end of the tunnel. In contrast, last month we went to visit a place in Wimberley, Texas called Jacob's Well. And I I think some of you all have, have probably been there as well. It's a natural spring-fed pool, and you can jump off these rocks into this hole of water that goes down 120 feet through a a series of of chambers and and caves. But the difference here at Jacob's Well is there is no light at the end. The deeper you swim, the darker it gets. And I prefer to see the rest of my life more in terms of the tunnel rather than the well. Because in the tunnel, it can still be an uncomfortable place. But as I lean on God and trust in Him, I can still see the path that God has for me. And more importantly, the destination where I'm headed. And it's not a path that I've created, but the one that God has set before me. When we place our faith in Christ alone, We have that assurance of our salvation and we can rest knowing that our path will eventually take us to glory and the light of Christ that awaits us on heaven's celestial shores. And my prayer is that until then, we wouldn't waste our lives. I like that book by John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life. And the part of the book that that sticks with me and is still haunting is the part at the very beginning when Piper tells the story of sitting in a church as a kid and Piper's father was the pastor and the father shares the gospel one Sunday and gives an altar call. And this elderly man with tears streaming down his face begins walking down the center aisle toward the front and he's weeping and he's crying out I've wasted it I've wasted it how tragic that would be if that were our thought when we come to the end of our lives and feel that we've wasted it but it's never too late to start living for God like Jan Wagner did so beautifully. What a well-lived life. As we trust in Him, as we lean upon Him and His righteousness and serve Christ and point others to faith in Him, 
in Stuart and Jill Briscoe's latest book called Improving with Age. They say, as we get older, we try to do three things with age. We try to deny it, defy it, and delay it. But ultimately, age will defeat us all. But God's plan can become even sweeter as we get older and we see each stage as more joyful, as more productive than the last, where God is using us in an even greater way for His kingdom and His glory. So imagine for a moment that your life is made up of four quarters, as in a basketball game. And each quarter represents 20 years of life. That would put me at the start of the third quarter. I just turned 42. And being in the third quarter, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty warmed up. I'm, I'm in a pretty good groove spiritually and, and with uh, my marriage to Kara and with our kids. But I know that the game can certainly be lost in the third quarter. I have by no means arrived. And I can't grow complacent and just coast spiritually and relationally. I still need to pursue my wife and and invest in my kids. And we want to launch them out of their first quarter on a strong run. So what quarter are you in? First quarter, 0 to 20. Second quarter is 21 to 40. Third is 41 to 60. Fourth, 61 to 80. And oh, if you are in overtime. (laughs) 81 to 100. But overtime is the most exciting part of the game. If you are in double OT, okay, over 100, just come come talk to me afterwards. You know, I want to learn your secrets. But everybody here, And everybody up in Stone Oak, I want you to hold up what quarter you're in. Go ahead and hold hold up your quarter right now. Show me what quarter you're in. Show me what quarter you're in. Y'all look around. Okay? Whatever quarter you are in, God is not done. He is not finished with you yet. At the end of your life, you don't want people to say, wow, did she have an amazing first half? Or wow, what a faithful follower of Christ in his third quarter. Or man, did she have a great first quarter? No, God wants us to persevere and stretch out for the tape at the finish line. It's like when my three-year-old daughter, Mary Grace, she got the courage to jump off the side of the pool this summer with her floaties on, without her floaties on. And she doesn't jump in because she wants to swim on her own or lean on her own buoyancy. She can't swim yet. But she doesn't jump in with a half-hearted effort and with one hand holding on to the wall. And here's a picture of her. She just goes for it. 
and her courage to jump out with this reckless abandonment is not because of her strength in the water. It's because she knows she has a loving mother and a supportive father who will catch her. Is life scary? Is life risky? Do we sometimes just fall on our face and experience great disappointment and hurt? Of course we do. But life's too short to just dip our big toe in the shallow end of the pool. No, God would rather see us like this, like the cliff divers, and say, God, I'm a little nervous. Uh, I'm a little scared. I'm I'm not a big fan of heights, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to lean upon you and your everlasting arms to catch me as I acknowledge you in all things. And as I obey your word and swan dive into the great sea and mystery that is your will for my life, I trust you, my Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father, as we read on in Proverbs 3, maybe later today or or later this week, we see the benefits of leaning on you leaning on your everlasting teaching, your everlasting faithfulness, your everlasting ways, your generosity, your loving discipline, and your everlasting wisdom that you want to freely impart to us as your children. So may we spend the rest of our lives, however long that may be, telling others of who you are, And the wonder of your love and grace as we lean on you and trust in Christ and acknowledge and obey him in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.